Welcome to The Daily Cut, a podcast of Park Community Church. I'm Trevor Lovell, a pastor from our Near North location. Throughout this season, we wanted to create something consistent that would help add even a little sense of rhythm to life. And so to do that, we created The Daily Cut, where we're posting a short devotional every day. We hope you'll join us and we'll enjoy listening. This is The Daily Cut, and I'm Trevor Lovell. All right, it's good to be with you all. Hope you're doing well. Um, Today, we are picking up the next chapter in the life of Joseph from the book of Genesis. So to catch the start, if you missed, jump back to yesterday's episode. We're walking through the whole story this week, and I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun and a really great series as well, I think, mainly because Joseph's life is such an incredible story. So looking forward to continuing on with it today. And so we're going to pick up where we left off yesterday. This is episode two, and we will be in Genesis chapter 39. So if you're able to, if your hands are free, go ahead and open Open up to that passage. If you're out for a run or you're driving somewhere, no worries at all. I'll read it for us, um, or at least snippets of it. So, uh, first, let's just get a quick recap of episode one. So, Joseph, right, the main character, the the dreamer, was his father's favorite son, and that special attention that he got and the affection he received from him sparked the jealousy and the hatred of his older brothers. And so, at the end of chapter one, when the opportunity presents itself, they sell him into slavery to a caravan going down to Egypt. And they tell his father that he was killed by an animal in the wilderness. And the chapter ends by telling us that in Egypt, he was bought by a man named Potiphar, a captain of Pharaoh's guard, which means he's a high-ranking official in Egypt. And so that's where that's where Joseph is now. And, and the question is, as we move into this next chapter in his life, right, the questions that we have uh, are really, there's two of them, right? Is God still with Joseph? And, uh, and how will Joseph respond? He's really been plunged into chaos. His life has been thrown into shambles. And how is he going to respond? Is he going to sink or is he going to swim as he finds himself in this new land of Egypt? Okay, so let's jump in. This is Genesis chapter 39, starting at verse one. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And so you can imagine how much is wrapped into these words, right? That for Joseph, everything's been taken from him. The only ones from his family who even know he's alive are the ones who sold him into slavery, right? And so nobody's gonna come rescue him. Nobody's coming to get him and to bring him back, right? He's being carried into this new land, this metropolis in Egypt, this huge city. And you can imagine him coming into the city, right? probably tied and bound, maybe walking, maybe riding. But either way, he's coming in like cattle at a piece of property. And he sees all of this extravagance around him, these huge buildings, this sprawling city that just keeps stretching and stretching as the caravan passes through the streets. And the languages he's hearing are different. The food he sees is different. There's nothing here that's anything like home. And then they come to the market where he's sold. He's bought and then he's brought to this new home, this estate that he now belongs to. And on the one hand, you can imagine how low he feels in the midst of this, right? Having lost everything at this point, and he's, he's in a place that's completely unfamiliar. But then on the other hand, right, it's, he's not really in a situation where he can just lay around and kind of process what he's feeling. And he can't just kind of sit in, in his emotions, right? We realize also that he's in a mess where he basically has to struggle just to figure out how to even survive, right? He needs to make sure that he's worth more alive uh, than he would be otherwise. He needs to prove his worth. 
because as a 17 year old kid, he's plunged into this chaos, really like a, like a young kid tossed into deep water who doesn't know how to swim. And they either learn how to swim very quickly or they sink. And that's the tension really as we get going here. How is Joseph going to respond? How is he gonna fare in these incredibly unfortunate circumstances? The next thing we read in chapter 39 is this, starting in verse two. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Joseph learned how to swim. Little by little, somehow he was able to demonstrate his worth, right? God uh, God is with him and that's, that's what does it, surely. That's what helps him. That's what brings about the opportunities. And little project after little project, Joseph continued to be successful where it almost sounds like he had this sort of Midas touch, right? Where everything he touched turned to gold for his master. And his master saw that and, and continued to give him more opportunities and more responsibility. And Joseph uh, continues to rise throughout the story. It just keeps going, saying this in, in uh, verse four. It says, so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So somehow when Joseph was tossed into deep water, he didn't just learn how to swim and how to survive, but he's literally thriving here, right? He runs the entire estate and he runs it incredibly well. And yeah, the truth is he, he's not a free man, right? He's still a slave. And so things are far from perfect here. But at the same time, he's showing this incredible skill and ability to be able to run an estate like this and to run it in a way that's very profitable. Right? Joseph, despite his circumstances, is thriving because God is with him, right? God is still with him despite everything that's happened. And we see that in how this is playing out for Joseph. Things are looking good. They're looking up. And then unfortunately... Right at this point in the story, we read a line that foreshadows not further prosperity for Joseph, but doom. A line that's this foreboding of another plunge into chaos, even deeper down than before. The end of verse six reads like this. It says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And uh, while you might not think that's bad news, it ends up being bad news for Joseph because of what results from it. Because the very next line says this, And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me, which is obviously something, the consequences of which would be very, very bad for Joseph. And plus he knows that it's sin. We can see that from what he says, that that he has this understanding that this is wrong because he says this, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Which is interesting that Joseph phrases it in that way as a sin, not against Potiphar, right, foremost, but, but first and foremost against God. Joseph can say that because he recognizes that all of the success that he's had in Egypt is because God has been with him. It's because God has blessed him and God's favor has been upon him. And he's thankful for everything that God has done for him. And he knows that to do a thing like this would be like slapping God in the face, 
right? Let alone his master. Joseph knows that it's wrong on so many levels. And so he refuses. But as the story keeps going, she keeps persisting day after day until finally it reaches a breaking point. Verse 11 says this, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. She caught him all alone and still he refused to the point that he actually fled the house, leaving his garment there, some of his clothes, leaving them behind. And Potiphar's wife in this moment finally realizes that it's never gonna happen with with Joseph. And so it seems in anger that she decides to punish him, knowing that as a slave, he's in an incredibly vulnerable place. And this is what she does, right? When Joseph flees, she cries out. She screams so loud that the men who weren't in the house at the time, they hear and they come running. And when they get there, she says that Joseph came into the house and found her while she was alone and he tried to rape her. And she cried out, she screamed. And when she did, he ran away, but left his garment behind, which she used as evidence to imply his guilt, right? As evidence of Joseph's guilt. And later in the day, after a day's worth of business and work, whatever her husband was up to, Potiphar, he comes home and she tells him the same story. And the consequences begin to unfold, right? And in verse 19, we see, we see the beginning of Joseph's second plunge into chaos, And this is what it says. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. So Joseph begins the chapter on his way to the market in Egypt, where he's bought and brought to the estate of this Egyptian official. And he has to learn how to survive. He has to learn how to swim. And he does. And he does very well for himself because God is with him. But then he's given this opportunity to sin in the midst of it. This temptation comes before him and consistently he does the right thing. He refuses to sin against God. He does the right thing, which you'd expect God to bless. But then what happens is Joseph is wronged again. Again, even though he's innocent, he becomes the victim of the hatred of others. And at the close of this chapter, this section in Joseph's story, The question is, with him sitting in prison, right, is God still with him? Is God still with him? And really at the point, at this point, the question extends to why is God allowing all this to happen? Because it really seems like God is with him, right? The way that God blessed him in Potiphar's house, the way that his favor was upon him, and then Joseph was upright, he was righteous. And so it seems like God is with him, but why is God allowing all of this to happen? Why does he keep allowing evil to hold sway over Joseph's life. Why? I think it's an important question for us to ask. And the truth is, you know, you might be in a similar space. Either in this season you happen to be at, you know, either in the season that you're in in this moment, right? You're going through something like this where you're looking around and you're seeing all the bad that's happening and it's causing you to just pause and ask the question, God, why? Why are you letting this happen? Or maybe that'll be a season that you get to eventually, where you just look around and you say, God, why are you letting this happen? And I think the truth is, as we can see from Joseph's story, we usually don't know the answer to that question in the midst of it. We don't get the answer in the middle of it, which is what we see with Joseph. But what we do know as followers of Christ 
is that even if it doesn't make sense, if we don't know the why in the midst of it, we know that God brings good through these things. We know that our God brings about good in our lives and in the lives of others through the bad things that happen. And so if that's you in this season, let me just say that it might not be clear now, but at some point you will see the good that God has brought out of this. You will see the good that God is bringing out of this difficult season. You will. But as for Joseph, his story is still incomplete in our series. And so today we leave off with him as an Egyptian slave who's been accused and convicted of raping an Egyptian official's wife. And now he's in prison. And I doubt that he has much of a clearly defined sentence. He's been put in a dark place to rot and to be forgotten forever. And it seems like that really is his fate, to be forgotten, wrongly accused, wrongly convicted, wrongly suffering at the hands of those who hate him and who've lied about him. And for a little while, there was hope. But now once again, he's been plunged into chaos. And the questions are, is he even going to survive? And if he does, will he ever get out? Tune in tomorrow to hear what happens next. Thanks for listening today. I hope you're doing well. We'll be back tomorrow with another short devotional as we continue our series through the life of Joseph. So stay tuned.